0: 7-5 to be a part of the action on the phone lines. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the Radio Chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way.
1: afternoon and welcome back to another adventure here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, oh Facebook, oh the heck with it, just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, Sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chick Annie, along with my debonair, intellectual and oh so handsome co-host Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon Curtis, we've got an exciting show today.
2: Yeah, it looks like it's a, It's going to be another one for the history books. I'm looking oh. forward to it. And yourself?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. We have your friend Larry Harvey, who is a Putnam County Commissioner uh, down in Florida, joining us. Uh, but the first half of the show, we're going to have Katie Arrington. She won the primary here in South Carolina for the congressional seat in District 1, currently held by Mark Sanford. Uh, she was in a horrific car accident where the driver that hit her head on uh, was killed. Her, her friend, her best friend, is still in the hospital undergoing more surgeries. And uh, I saw her Wednesday. She was cheerful, but she's confined to a ch- wheelchair well, for nice now. But uh, she'll be joining us at the first half of the show. But those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Army Staff Sergeant Aaron R. Butler. He was killed on August 6th of 2017 while serving during Operation Freedom Sentinel. And this is from uh, the St. Louis Trib by Luke Ramseth, And it reads, If Aaron Butler were to give his own eulogy, his sister said it would have been simple. I came... I lived, I killed bad guys, I died. But Shannon Young had much more than that to say about her kid brother at his funeral. She sketched out the 27 years of a championship athlete, an avid outdoorsman, a fast learner, a loving brother, and a man who accomplished his lifelong dream becoming an elite American soldier. Bravery was just a quality rooted deep inside him, Young said. He showed us how to live, added his brother Shane Butler. More than 1,000 people gathered in this small southern Utah town for the funeral service of Staff Sergeant Butler, the first Utonian killed in combat since 2013. They packed into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Stake Center, overflowing the chapel, the basketball court, and other rooms where the service was streamed live. On August 16, 2017... Butler and his teammates in Bravo Company, 1st Battalion, 19th Special Forces Group of the Utah National Guard were clearing a building in Nagahar Province, Afghanistan, searching for Islamic State Loyalists, but the structure had been booby-trapped and exploded, killing Butler and injuring his eleven teammates. Dozens of Butler fellow Green Berets and one of his teammates, who had been at the scene of the explosion, were in attendance. Staff Sergeant Trevor Bell accompanied his comrades' remains from Afghanistan to the U.S., spending spending several days in Monticello. At the service, Bell recalled a teammate who wasn't afraid to stand up to his superiors when he felt something was wrong. He told of a guy who would rather gather his fellow soldiers around to entertain them with stories of his life growing up in Monticello or tales of serving as a Mormon missionary in Ghana. You can sense he was different in all the best ways possible. Bell said, beginning to tear up, We lost an incredible man, teammate, and friend. Another of Special Forces teammates told Butler's sister that he would fought with everything he had to the very end. Your brother was a warrior, the teammate told Young. Some guys try to be alpha, alpha males, but Aaron naturally was one. Young said Butler could seem a little wild as a teenager. He was already obsessed with the military and was known to sometimes ask family members, Anyone want to go blow something up? Then there was Butler's rugged work ethic. Young said he always stayed after wrestling practice to work out or mentor his teammates. It paid off in the form of four state wrestling titles, making him one of only a handful of Utonians to ever accomplish the feat. "'Butler also picked up new skills quickly,' Young said, "'including mastering a second language, "'a requirement to join the special forces. "'Each of Butler's brothers urged the crowd to live by his example. "'To say less and do more,' Quinn Butler said, "'and to be relentless in the pursuit of your goals, "'as Chad Butler put it. "'He had been a a protector his entire life,' "'said Butler's only younger sibling, Adam Butler. "'He kept me safe when I was small.' "'Alexandria Seagroves, Butler's fiancée, read a poem he wrote for her. "'For years his sole focus in life had been to join the Green Berets,' he said. "'Then he met her, and his perspective on life suddenly shifted. "'Young said Seagroves had brought out her brother's soft and tender side, "'which the family had never seen before. "'I feel like I lost the love of my life,' Seagred said, "'whispering as she choked up. "'But Aaron will live through me. I know.' I will see him again. Randley Butler, Aaron's father, said, The past few days have been the hardest of his life, but the support of the tight-knit community, including more than 100 people who stopped by the Butler home the day after Aaron was killed to offer condolences and food, have buoyed his spirit. The family also received cards and other messages from around the country. He said thanking them for raising such a fine young man. "'Thank you for your love,' Randy Butler said. "'I will be eternally grateful.' The crowd, along with Butler's remains, eventually moved along several blocks down the road to Monticello City Cemetery. Rows of green berets stood near the graveside as a half mast flag flapped nearby under blue skies and a stiff breeze. As the ceremony ended, Butler's mother and sister flanked a sobbing seagroes, working to comfort her and themselves. The funeral capped several days of mourning and celebrating Butler's life in Monticello. Hundreds of residents stood on Main Street and waved American flags as his remains arrived at Monticello City Airport and were driven to a mortuary in Blanding. Governor Gary Herbert visited the family. Meanwhile yellow ribbons were tied to trees and light posts in both cities, and many businesses placed signs on their windows thanking Butler for his service. After a long day of stories and ceremony finished the Butler family issued a single statement. The family of Staff Sergeant Aaron Butler expresses their deep gratitude for the remarkable outpouring of love and support from friends, community, the military, the State of Utah, and the American people. It has been a wonderful tribute to Aaron, his life, and his service. In central Monticello, there is a veterans' memorial with a few dozen names of San Juan County soldiers killed in combat over the decades. In the lower right-hand corner are the four San Juan residents killed since September 11th attacks. Quinn Keith, Nathan Winder, James Thode, and Jason Workman. Soon Butler's name will be carved into the monument. Aaron's death, his sister said, makes us acutely aware that the War on Terror lives on. Today's show is dedicated to Staff Sergeant Aaron Butler. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters or emergency services. We never thank them enough. God bless each and every one. And we dedicate this with the song Amazing Grace. website. Just put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chick, Annie, along with Curtis C.S. Bennett. want to welcome everyone that's listening in on iTunes, uh, YouTube, (laughs) Facebook, also here on BTR. Welcome everyone that's in the chat rooms. Curtis, we've got ourselves an exciting uh, show, and in about two minutes, uh, Katie Arrington will be calling in. I just got a text from her staff that she's ready to go, and we're gonna have a lot of fun with her.
2: When do you think she'll be ready to um, to get back in the campaign again?
1: She's back. She is back.
2: Oh, okay. She's in That's a wheelchair. Good. That's good.
1: She is in a wheelchair because she did she broke her leg, uh, both of her ankles. Uh, they removed a couple of her ribs, and she's got this, you know. <laughs> highfalutin tech thing there to replace where the ribs were broken. Uh, she had pierced her aorta. Mm -hmm. Um, she, how she is alive. We do not know. She should have died at that scene. Um, her, her best friend is still in the in the hospital. So our prayers still go out to both Katie and uh, Jackie, uh, for that. I saw her Wednesday, very upbeat. She's full swing back into the campaign. Um, so she's going to be joining us very shortly. And, uh, she has a lot to talk about, but we only have her for like about fifteen twenty minutes, because uh, she is like well, I said, full swing on the campaign trail, yeah. and the doctors are telling you, slow well, down, Katie. Like- Your family's telling slow down, Katie. And She's going, I am not slowing down. Holy moly, yeah. this woman is a fighter.
2: I like. I like to know where the outrage is um, on drunk drivers, though. You know, I mean, more people get killed on the highways than you know, the black you know community gets killed by police officers i mean just in georgia alone i think i remember seeing like about 560 something road fatalities so far just this year yeah but there's no outrage i don't understand it well yeah you know, everybody's she, she, lives matter
1: she has put it very very well cuz when she i saw her wednesday and she discussed this when she was talking with us um that she says to give prayers out to the white family that was the name of the woman that uh, hit them head on and mm-hmm. then she said you know this is a learning moment when you know someone has been having a few drinks call them an uber call them a taxi take their keys away they may be angry with you but hey you're saving a life and this is true you know it is very very true you know there's many times when i was a police officer you found someone asleep in the car and you found out that they were drunk, we would take the keys away. Later on, it was mandated you must make the arrest, but let's bring uh, Katie in on the phone. Good afternoon, Katie Arrington, your candidate for District 1 out of South Carolina for Congress, and I'm so glad and so happy to have you here. Well, hello. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm just as as ducky as I was when you saw me on Wednesday, uh, but we're glad <laughs> to have you back on the show. And... uh
3: Thank letting you. everyone know. Glad that to be
1: he, back. Oh, just so glad to see you. And uh, I, I'm going to remind myself on Sunday to put Jacqueline in on the prayer list to uh, also add her to that, because yes, I didn't have her f- correct spelling. And so I didn't want to put it in wrong. I <laughs> have a uh, oh, like, in Utah. <laughs> I, I talked to her and I told,
4: well, I talked to her at this um yesterday afternoon i was telling her i said well you weren't going to be on a prayer list on this past sunday but well, we couldn't spell your name i said but you're going to get it this weekend she's like okay as long as they're going to get me we're good but she's <laughs> hanging in there like a trooper i'm so proud of her
3: oh, man. such
4: a positive spirit i mean just yeah her um, you know my accident was was horrific but hers was horrific Times squared i mean can you imagine being immobilized, you can't turn your head, you can't move your body in any way for six weeks and to be conscious for that. It's just to me that the spirit of a human being to live through that is just mind-boggling.
1: Man, and Curtis, my co-host, was asking if you were back on the campaign trail. And I says, you are back full swing. You're out campaigning today. Uh, you've got stops all over the place. You're an amazing firecracker. And this is what we need in, in Washington. We need someone to represent the state of South Carolina that has our interests and is willing to actually fight. Oh, and it's, and
4: I thank you for that. And I'm, I've am i been, you know, joking around. I'm rolling out all this week. Um I'm actually rolling up to D.C. next week, uh, meeting with a lot of the the leadership that's currently in place and people that may or may not be in leadership positions, uh, chatting with them, um, and already working towards what we need in the low country. Uh, You know, big push on infrastructure and what our needs are. I was really blown away by the Democrats this week. I, I just stand there, my mouth hit the floor, when, you know, a year ago they voted you know overwhelmingly to support ICE and now they're 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 playing and pandering and you know just marking themselves president president not voting and then creating another resolution to abolish ICE and what what they must not understand about how much the low country you know our police officers our law enforcement actually depend on ICE here in the low country and you know the certifications that a lot of our police officers and law enforcement go through to be able to help enforce that, and what ICE is really doing—it's just mind-boggling—and I can't get up, wait to get up there next week. Cannot oh.
1: wait. You know what was frustrating when I was a cop um, in New York under Giuliani—we were forbidden from contacting ICE if we had a known illegal. You know, we found ways to get around it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, but we were told, no, you cannot correct, directly call ICE. Uh, and I have a good friend of mine, Mike Cutler, Uh, he was an INS agent, Mm -hmm. and he actually walked this individual across the border three times. The guy returned across the border and ended up murdering a friend of mine, a fellow cop, uh, was killed by this guy. I'm so sorry. And, you know, when we see this, and we see that... The Democrats saying, oh, we don't need ICE. It's racist. It's it's homophobic. It's whatever it is they're going to be calling it, the, the flavor of the day. Uh, what idiocy. And you're right. Your, your mouth just drops to the floor thinking, like, you just don't want to enforce any laws? Well, that's,
4: you know, coming... Anybody that wants to come here legally and go through the same process that so many of us... I mean, we can get, I, you know... Get, Ellis Island, if you came to America and you didn't have the right paperwork, you didn't get to come into America. You went to Ellis Island. If you had life, they didn't let you into America. If you had T B, if you you know, you had committed a crime on on the best, on the voyage here, you didn't come to America. It's you know, we want everybody for the the opportunity to come here to pursue life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But you have to be mindful and cognizant and respect the law and the law as you go through the immigration process. I was blown away by, you know, the Democrats and, the, you know, pandering to the left with this whole thing about these people that came through this migration train through South America to the United States borders. You know coming in you're going to break the law. Now, if you or I had to break the law in the United States of America, if I had broke the law and I had children with me, the first things that the cops would do is arrest me and give my children to protective services. Mm -hmm. That's the law. That's what happens. And these children don't go into these, you know, wonderful, they go into homes and, and placement areas with other children. And they do their best to get them into foster care, to find families to take care of them. That's what they were doing with these children that were coming across the border illegally. But yet we want to, the Dems and the Liberals, want a separate standard for them, not for us. And it's just mind-boggling. If I break the law, I either, you know, I have to go to court, I pay a fine, or I serve jail time. They break the law and we want to give them a a get-well card. I I just don't understand it. I, I, I can't wrap my arms around it. And I know most of your listeners are in the same boat as me, but I I just do not understand how there are two separate standards. There's the law-abiding citizens of the United States, and then there's the the people who break our laws who are not citizens, but we should roll
1: out the red carpet for them exclusively. And me going to Washington... now, I was going to say, what what gets me is that they're saying they're ripping the children from the arms of their parents. And yet, when they start to do the background checks on these alleged parents, they have found that a lot of them are not blood relatives at all, have no relationship to the child whatsoever. They're just kids they picked up off the street and carried across the border illegally. Uh, they found that they've captured several rapists and murderers, uh, drug dealers, MS-13 gang members. And so, and they're all screaming, unite the children right away. But you're finding that if you can give them to a pedophile, are you you really, do you really want to do that? Instead of checking to make sure, you have to reunite them right now.
4: Well, it doesn't work that way in the United States. It does not work that way in the United States of America. If you have your child taken from you because you have broken the law, they go and they find out everything they can about you before they reunite you with your child. We have to. It's it's one of those things. We are at war, and every time that the left thinks that they can put their hands on something and get a platform or a grass, they jump on it. I mean, it's the same thing they did with after Parkland, you know, gun control. They've got to, you know, everybody. We don't need guns, and and that didn't catch. So now they're moving back to immigration, and the challenge is immigration. The laws need to be a. We need to go back and look at the laws and firm them up because. Congress, and when I get there, you know, I'll be either A, part of the solution or B, part of the problem. I've always been a solution finder, so I think I'll be on the solution side. But Congress has yet to tighten this up. It has been years. We need to change the visa program. We need to end chain migration. We need to be able to find a way, like my way of, of offering to fund the border wall would be to charge toll coming from Mexico to the U.S. We need to, we need to do that. And, and have people that are actually crossing the border pay for the border and not the taxpayers, because the last thing somebody needs in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or here in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina who doesn't ever go to the border, why are they having to pay for there? Let people going over across it, $10 a day, $10 per car, 500,000 cars a day pass through from Mexico into the United States. That's $1.65 billion a year. That would pay for the wall. Wow. And for all those Democrat liberals, yeah, I mean, simple solutions. Let's think out of the box here. But All those well. Democrats and liberals that are talking about the wall, I have to ask them, and they're so, oh, we want open borders. So does that mean you're going to take all the doors off the front of your house? And all those that you have a fence around your backyard for your children, are you going to take those fences up? Because it's the exact same thing. You want to protect your house, but you don't want to protect your country.
1: I just t-
2: wanted to add that um, the left, the left will always attach themselves to um, any issue that's on an emotional level that advances or they think will advance their cause. And I, I mean, regardless of whether it's against our laws or not, because they believe that strategy will win, you know, them voters and win them position and, and office at election time and. And that's just I, the way I think they, they, they feel and why well, they, do they do
1: what they exa- do. And I'm sorry, who is that speaking? It's my uh, co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. C.S. Bennett. Hi, Curtis. No, you are exactly right. right. I mean, and that's
4: that's the hardest part is that, you know, you, you put these pictures, you know, of these children being ripped from their arms. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. How about we, we go to go downtown Charleston where we have, you know, somebody who is on opioids and their kids are being ripped from their arms, and put that picture on there. Because we have that problem we need to deal with. And, and that's a reality. And those are U.S. citizens that need our help. We need to have more of worrying about what happens inside of our own country with our own people that are in need, and pull at the heartstrings of that, than worry about people that are not U.S. citizens. And if you want to become a citizen, there is a process. If you really need to declare asylum, we have a means and a method for that. We're not saying that it doesn't happen. I mean, asylum uh, is granted every day in the United States, but it's, it's not you can walk across the border and declare asylum. You have to have, you know, a, a true um, need for it, whether it be political or religious persecution. And last I checked, there wasn't a great deal of, you know, political or religious persecution going on in Mexico, going on in a great deal of the South American countries that are, that are flooding the borders. There are a few, but for the vast majority, there isn't, and they're just playing to the heartstrings. And it's sad how far away from center we have gotten, and we need to get back there. It's, it's at our nation's best interest.
1: You know, it's, it's funny. They'll, they'll pander to illegal aliens, and yet they ignore the, the homelessness that we have growing in the United States in Democratic-held enclaves, as well as veterans they ignore the growing number of homeless no. veterans or veterans who have had their rights you know trampled on through a dysfunctional VA no no that's that's not that that's not going to get us votes cuz you know what happens that's mostly in areas where we're not going to get votes anyway so we don't care about them
4: oh no, i i couldn't agree more i was you know what the so here in uh, the low country we have uh, i think the fifth largest VA in the country and you know, I go and I, I meet frequently with the people that work there, and they're some, they, they really are amazing people trying to do great things. But we in South Carolina, we're the number two low re, um, retirement community in the, in the country right now. We have a lot of people from the military moving to this area to retire, and it is causing, you know, it's putting a huge strain on the physical building itself. I mean, Ralph H. Johnson. They can't build out, nor can they build up. So I'm not exactly sure how we're supposed to increase the capacity when we have that kind of restraint. But we should be focusing on that in South Carolina 1. How are we going to take care of these people that have volunteered to protect our freedom and protect our lives and give them the care that they need? And, you know, this, this whole fake news thing that the, the Dems and the left are doing, it's, just, it's anti-American. To my, in my words, it's anti American. We are so much better than that. And how are we going to get there is electing strong conservative voices to go to Washington, to stand firm, and not get caught up in the noise, and just get the real
1: work of Congress done. Well, that's what we need people like you. And. The listeners should know that we do have someone challenging a conservative challenging Clyburn so you may have a partner in crime once you get to DC and uh, the gentleman was well, I hope meet- so I, go ahead yes I met him he,
4: he gave me his card and, and I I mean that you know they say I took you know the David and Goliath. He's into David and Goliath. I mean that truly is a huge race, but it's never say never and that's why you know everybody listening. The, you know, I, I make it my moniker. The blue wave, you know, isn't going to wash on the shores of South Carolina, but the reality is, we as Republicans as conservatives need to come together. We need to be as, as en, an engaged and as interested as what the Dems managed to do. I mean, they managed to get a heck of a so, you know trending on social media. They managed to get the the media to follow their agenda. We as Republicans need to band together. We need to, to help each other, not put each other down, and work to get our message, our, our values, back into the mainstream media to say, this is what we want. And every time we get, you know, the the, the left blows up at President Trump, somehow or another once the death set, dust settles, things are for the better. And this community, you know, and everybody in your listening audience, do your fair share to help get conservatives in uh, elected into this this session. You know, whether it's if you can donate time, donate time. If you can donate money, you know, I get a lot of five dollar donations, you know, every day online, and I can't tell you. I write the same thank you card as I do for a $5,000 donation, as I do for a $5 donation, because it means I've earned someone's support. And that's what we need to do, support each other, unite, to get that the work done. And that's going to be critical in November, because if we sit on our laurels, there is always a potential that we could lose a seat, and if we finally get you know, bonded together and do it, we can roll seats like Clyburn's district that has been, gosh, how long has Jim Clyburn been in office? Oh, Twenty-six years?
1: <laughs> long before I, I had mean, moved here. <laughs> and I moved here in exactly. 2001. I mean, we, need
4: to, we need to get together. So everybody in the listening audience, you know, my website is votekatiearrington.com. I would love anybody that would want to support their time. They can make a donation. But also get involved in your local community. I mean, the event Wednesday night in Beaufort was amazing. To have that many people come together for a common cause, we need to do more to do that. And I appreciate this show that you do and the fact that you're doing it to, to educate and to give everybody a voice and a platform. I thank you for that. Um, but we, we need to work hard, and, and we need to ensure that, you know, the things that we need done get done in Washington.
1: Well, we've got callers popping up uh, if you would like to take a couple of them. I can take just a few. I've got like four minutes left on this one, then I've got one more interview. But go ahead and do right. what you can in the time. All right. Well, I've got Cool Mike in on the line. Cool Mike was a former co-host of mine, and he works tirelessly for conservative causes up in Michigan. Go ahead, Mike.
5: Um, first of all hello first of all we're praying for you and your recovery and your family thank you um number one is um when did you decide to challenge mark like what was going on i always find it amazing when underdogs or so-called perceived underdogs um decide you know i've had it with these establishment hacks or these just these big shots uh and secondly um what was going through your mind election primary night? Because I can tell you we only know of you and Annie and I and many around the country, we were doing somersaults on your behalf. And I'll well, I'll listen, uh, I'll mute myself and listen to your response because there's probably more people want to get in on the queue.
4: Mike, that phenomenal question. So why I decided to run when I was in the State House, um, the things that were bothering me every time I hit, you know, why aren't we making this better? Well, it's the federal government. And I'll tell them our I've been calling Mark and sitting in his office, you know, since 2013 when he went back. And his votes, when I would call, I would get some ridiculous staffer to tell me, not ridiculous, they're they're hardworking people, but just the response was so ridiculous to me. Um, But the thing that really turned me was when Steve Scalise got shot and Mark Sanford went on national TV and blamed the president. And that was it. It was game on at that point. Um, But... And, and going, you know, everybody around me that, you know, all, all of the people like, oh, he's never lost. And I kept joking around, well, neither have I. I want to, you know, I've never lost. So, you know, he has had more wins, but our, our, our batting record was the exact same. Um, election night, um, I did a lot of praying to God about giving me the courage, whatever the voters decided, to giving me the courage to do the right thing, whether if I lost was to concede with grace and to, you know, put my, you know, whether it made me cringe or not, but to stand by Mark because he was a Republican nominee, and if I won, to do the same, to have the class and the dignity to lead by example and to ensure that I, I led with always being a listener, always remember that I'm a servant to this community. I want to be a servant leader. And... Then when, um, and I'll be very honest with your, your listening audience, uh, uh, Annie and, and Mike and, and Curtis, um, when he came out on stage, I knew I won. And I dropped to my knees and I prayed to God, and then I hit the wall three times, and I said a profanity, and I called, and then I got myself composed. <laughs> and I, I would try to do somersault, but back then I was wearing high heels and it wasn't going to happen. <laughs>
5: And just so you know, I did uh I did make a contribution to your campaign. We need more we need more Katie's and we need more Annies, we need more cool mics to step to the plate. Uh you know, these people
4: tend thank to forget you. they
5: work for us. And you it's know exactly I, I, it. I you know, for thank a person you, Mike, who thank on you. you're welcome. For a person on her night, first thing she does is drop to her knees and thank God. That says a lot not only about a lot about you, but it says a lot about who we're electing. Uh, to Congress, so I'm going to mute Thank myself. You. Okay. Well, Kate... do one
1: more, Annie. <laughs> oh, man, Katie, you are absolutely wonderful. Uh, people can find your website. at your name, com, and like you said, even $5 is a great help. It, it makes all the difference in the world, and I'll tell you, when
4: I'm sitting here with both of my legs in casts and, you know, lying on my couch making phone calls, when my phone shows me a donation's been made, it really does give me something. And to your listening audience, I am not backing down on my campaign pledges. I'm only taking the salary of the average in the 1st Congressional District, which is 52000 to pay for my housing and food while I'm in Washington. The other 125000 Rand on or about will be donated to charity in the 1st Congressional District, Every year I'm elected because this is about service over self. Term limiting myself to four terms, eight years, if you want me, every two years. And I'm declining the congressional retirement benefits because I don't think it's fair that you have to serve 20 years in the military to receive retirement benefits. And Congress is not under the same rules. So I'm not backing down on those. I want to be a servant leader. I want to be a citizen legislator. And it, it is my honor and distinguished pleasure to be on
1: this radio show. Oh, Katie, we love you. You know that. <laughs> we do. And, mm-hmm. we question we will be voting right. well, for you. Well, you have a
4: blessed afternoon.
1: <laughs> you too, Katie. Well,
4: thank you. And you all have a blessed afternoon. i got to hop on and jump on another uh, interview. But thank you, Annie, for your, for your prayers, for your listening audience, to Mike, to Curtis. Thank you for your prayers. First and foremost, God is what pulled me through this accident, and the prayers of this community are what are sustaining my recovery. So thank you so much. God bless, Katie. Go get them, Katie.
1: <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> take thank care you. of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Katie Arrington, uh, she's running for South Carolina District 1 uh, to replace Mark Sanford. Just check her out, Vote uh Katie dot com. Thanks Mike for the um, for, uh for uh donation. To her. Uh but I came across you because when I was doing the dedication to Corporal Eugene Cole, um Cor- uh, Corporal Cole's wife had posted something up on her page and it was a dedication you just did recently to a bridge in the memory of Corporal Cole. And it was really wonderful. I mean a huge turnout for that.
6: Uh it was amazing. It was actually uh and, and Cheryl Cole, uh, the wife of Jean Cole, actually picked the date that we did the bridge dedication. It was Jean's 62nd birthday, so it was really appropriate.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're in the main house <laughs> where you got a lot of liberals up north there. And I know because I used to work in hey. Boston, <laughs> downtown Boston. <laughs> it was really hard being conservative downtown Boston, especially in government center. <laughs> So, you have to have a badge of courage for just doing that. Um, But you've actually, you are someone that really gets the job done, uh, because you passed legislation, uh, stolen honor legislation you passed, and you don't see very many states doing that. Well,
6: we've uh you know, one of the things that's fortunate for me is I'm up in rural Maine. We're about an hour and a half north of Portland and uh we're in a district up here that we're the second congressional district that has Congressman Paula uh down there fighting for us in D C, the only uh Republican congressman I think uh in New England and and we've been fortunate to have Governor Paula Page for the last uh eight years up here uh representing us and and the second congressional district was the only uh, district that gave uh, our President Donald Trump an electoral vote. So, we have we have we have some good folks up here.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm just curious because I go onto Politics One when I want to find uh, candidates' uh, websites, um, but I didn't see you listed on Politics One. So, is this Senate race for this November, or is it in the future?
6: It, it is. Uh, so in Maine we have term limits. Uh, we have uh, four two year terms, and our current state senator, Rod Whittemore, is termed out. I'm in my second term in the House of Representatives. This is for Senate District Three, which is from where I am all the way up to the Canadian border through Jackman, and uh, it's pretty much all of Somerset County up here.
1: Wow, and it's
3: beautiful.
6: So 17 country. days, but I'm not I'm not counting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, wishing you luck, you know, because uh, you backed Susan Collins when she backed Kavanaugh. And, a matter of fact, uh, she pointed that out. Um, But now she's under attack. You know, she's getting uh, strange letters and stuff coming to her house. She's under physical attack for making that Kavanaugh stand.
6: You know, on the day of uh, Corporal Cole's dedication of the bridge, I was fortunate enough to meet the uh, senator in the parking lot. And... And I, I could just tell, I mean, this is the day after the vote and, and the stress that she was under. And we walked around the corner of the parking lot to where we were doing the dedication. And the, and the crowd cheered and said, you know, we love our senator. And you could kind of see the relief wash off her face a little bit. And she made a comment, you know, during her remarks about uh, being back home. And it's really, really disappointing to me that that Washington-style nastiness has come to Maine that our people that serve can't even be respected, let alone doing their job, but at where they live and among their family and friends. And when the far left calls out, you know, for harassing people at the gas station and at restaurants and the civility that, that, that has taken a toll, it's a wonder why we can't find we can find good people who are willing to step up when that is how the radicals treat public servants. Uh,
1: it's, uh, that, it is a shame that we've come to such uncivility. And then you have someone like Hillary Clinton saying, well, when we get Democrats back in control, we'll have civility again. I don't think so. I think if they get back <laughs> in control, they're going to double down because then they're going to say, we're the winners, nah, 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 nah.
6: Uh, it, it, it's unbelievable, and you know, I, I got to tell you, folks. You know, like I, I said, being up here where we are, uh, fairly conservative, rural Maine. You know, this this a lot of uh, you know the old blue hound Democrats. You know that that still believe in a lot of that. I, I was talking to somebody out on the campaign trail, and and she made the comment. She said, "You know, I'm a lifelong Democrat. My grandfather was. My father's turnovers over." His, in his grave seeing what these radical progressive liberals have done to people that 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 don't subscribe to that they they might still have a d by their name but they do not subscribe to that behavior those antics and 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 my response is well you need to get involved because it is your party and that is that is what is is being put out there and it's really
1: disappointing it is it is absolutely and you know it's funny because uh the Democrats have a funny way of, of working issues, and the border security is a huge, huge issue with us, especially, you know, you're there at the border with Canada. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren, when she did this DNA test and claiming herself to be Cherokee and that whole kerfuffle that came after that and the Cherokee Nation, and then she comes back and says, well, I, I recognize and respect the, cher- the sovereignty of the Cherokee Nation. And that little light bulb went off in the back of my head. and went boing. She wants open borders for the United States, but show respect the sovereignty of the Cherokee Nation and their citizenship. Uh, what about the United States of America that you're supposed to be representing? Is that not hypocrisy?
6: It is huge hypocrisy. And, and you know, the other thing is about that Senator Warren next door. You know, I mean, it, it, they think, a lot of these people think that even though folks aren't engaged, that that the average American isn't that smart, and shame on them for thinking, underestimating, hardworking folks that that they might not, they don't have the time. They're they're working, they're raising their families, they're coaching little league games. You know, they're doing all this. They don't have time to protest and. And be, and, and be hounding people and everything else, but they pay attention to this stuff. And if you can't see through this political game that she tried to get this out because she thinks that they have short-term memories, get it out now. If she decides to run in 2020, then it'll be old news and won't have to face the music. And, and it's just the way they try to manipulate the message and speak out of both sides of their mouth is just totally disingenuous.
1: That it is. You know, what do you see is the major issue for your state?
6: Well, you know, I'm really concentrated. Like I said, I, I represent about 8,000 people up here in central Maine, and in the Senate district it, it's about 40,000. And even though the economy is doing much better, uh, we, we have. I, I see three big issues that we have up here in rural Maine. We, we still are, are behind in some of the uh, wage increases with some of the manufacturing, we've lost some of the paper mill jobs. There are some coming back. There are a couple mills that are doing well. But we need we need to find good, qualified workers. I mean, there are jobs available, but rural Maine is still lagging, lagging behind in some of the economic benefits. Our energy prices up here are still too high. You know, we're on the end of the, of the, of the tip, with, especially with Massachusetts gabbling up uh, a lot of energy and and one of the things that we're really struggling with up here and it's hitting families hard is the whole opioid epidemic. Uh the the drug abuse especially with the heroin and the narcotics is is very very close to home and it's it's it, it intact. You can pick up the local paper and you can read obituaries almost on a daily basis.
1: Wow. Wow. And the opioid epidemic is crazy and it's getting worse and you know, how do you stop it though you've got pharmaceutical companies that advertise all this stuff on TV you've got doctors that get you know samples that come in the salesman comes in and they push this push that how do you how do you stop it how do you cut it off
6: I, well you got to, so the the political answer right is the three legged stool but I, specifically on policies you know I, I think you got to talk about you got to do education you know we, we you know, we, we go to our school systems where we can't talk about God or saluting the flag sometimes, and, and then we want to talk about drug uh, prevention, you know, th- just say no in the DARE programs and things like that. I think those are very important to, to hit people before they even get involved, and the community is a huge piece of that. Uh, you talked about the pharmaceuticals and the doctors. I think it's pretty well laid out there now that the doctors and the pharmaceuticals play a huge role in this, on the get-out. And, on the get out. and I've, talked to, I've talked to some doctors that recognize that, you know, they, they, they were part of that. And we've done some legislation here in Maine, you know, having uh, doctors register and, and, and try to control that. And I think we need to keep that pressure on with that piece. And, and, and we've got to enforce, you know what I mean? It, you can't just turn a blind eye. We've got Interstate 95 that runs from New York, you know, up through here, and there's a conduit for for drugs, and we have to we have to have enforcement. So it's it's a three pronged approach. I don't think there's a hate to use the analogy, but a magic pill is going to make it go away. We need community involvement. We need some tougher regulations, and we need enforcement.
1: Well, let's hope that's it's going to help uh, because right now you've got um, Canada, as I understand it, uh, just passed recreational marijuana. <laughs> so that's going to
6: we just. We passed that in Maine. I say we. I, ha- I have to say the we because it was by people's referendum uh, two years ago in, in, in 2016. Recreational marijuana passed. But you know what? Unfortunately, up here with our referendum process, when people went in to vote for that, it was a, it was a single line. It was, do you approve adult recreational use of marijuana. And it passed very narrowly. I I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was 51, 49. It was was close. What those people didn't see behind that was 34 pages of legislation that was written by the marijuana industry, not by the people of Maine. And we spent the first session of our legislative uh, period just trying to sort through, you know, how are you going to enforce it? How are you going to license it? How are you going to ta- tax it? You know, I mean, the whole business, and there was there were even holes in the people's referendum that that didn't have safeguards. Children under eighteen years old could could have access to it, and, but people passed that one line red uh, uh, legislation on the on the referendum ballot without understanding all of the ramifications behind it.
1: That's crazy. It is crazy, and. and, and... You have people that vote with their heart and not with their head. And if you have a huge industry like the marijuana industry out there, throwing the big bucks out there, the little guy doesn't stand a chance.
6: Uh, I I was real fortunate. I had no political experience before I ran. I I retired uh, as the state command chief for the the Maine National Guard in in 2013, and I got kind of roped into into running for office, and I really didn't know what I, was, what I was getting into, but I was very fortunate at my first turn to step by a, a fine gentleman uh, that told me the one rule I needed to know in politics out of the gate, and that was follow the money. And that applies to so many things. If you want to get to the, down to the root of the mm-hmm. issue, is follow the money.
1: That's, that's unfortunate. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, I was just...
2: I know the Northeast is Basically, liberal territory. But uh, I was curious if the Republican Party up in that area had programs to make inroads um, into the liberal um, neighborhoods and things, you know, to um, enlighten them with the conservative message. Or is it just, you know, you just do y'all cater to just the, the small group of conservatives up there and that's it?
6: No, I, you know I think leadership comes to a point, and as I mentioned earlier, you know we have had a Republican governor, Governor LePage, for eight years. Uh, I'm I'm very hopeful that uh, Sean Moody, who's running for, for governor this time, a Republican, uh, has a has a real good shot. I'm very optimistic. Uh, like I said, Congressman Poliquin, the only Republican, you know, in the in the Northeast up here. Our, our struggle is, is, you know, Portland and South, close to that Boston thing, is there is a huge liberal uh, uh, group there. They have lots of money. The Maine People Alliance is an organization up here that gets a lot of money from, from out of state, uh, and, and that's what we're battling. You know, they, everyone thinks about rich Republicans. Well, that, that's not the case. We're, we're hardworking folks with some core values, and, and you look at this, like, go back to follow the money. Where this outside money comes from, it's not from the grassroots folks in the state of Maine. It, it's Soros. and I, I mean, I, people use those terms, but you can go to our ethics page, and you can follow the money, literally, about who's donating. And, and that's the biggest battle we have as far as getting the message out. We try to put good candidates up. We talk about the economy. We talk about the Second Amendment. We talk about religious freedoms. And you know, as long as we can get the message out, that that's what we got to focus on.
1: That's that's going to be a hard slog, uh, but looks like we're not going to have a blue wave. It's going to be a red wave coming up in a, in just eighteen days. So, knock on wood, <laughs> eighteen I, more days to that. I, I hope wave. they. I, I hope they. I hope they underestimate
6: us again. For, and I say us uh, and, and again. I we have a large unenrolled. Uh, population up here in Maine that do not belong to either party. They call themselves independents, but they're, they're unenrolled from either party, and they play a big role in the elections up here. And, and again, I go back to it. There's a lot of folks that are working, raising their families, going to church, coaching ball and soccer and everything else, and they don't have the time to be involved in a lot of the, the antics that you see from the far left And I am, you know, people say the silent majority. I am optimistic that those folks will come out, at least here in the state of Maine, and make a very proud message for us. Well,
1: are you seeing people reacting to what I called the Kavanaugh effect and also the effect of Antifa with their riots? Do you see people reacting to that up in Maine? (sighs)
6: I I don't see the, I mean, I don't see out and out action. I have conversations by talking to people, going to doors and and, and talking to constituents and stuff that I, again, I I think that the, the far left underestimates how upset people are that they can, they, you could see through what, what they did to judge Kavanaugh by holding the information by turning it into a sideshow. Their whole plan was to delay and try to get past the midterms. It w- it, it, it's like the ca- caravan that's coming up through now and the timing. It, it, people see through that. That is political antics, and they think people aren't smart enough to see that. And I, I think they are sadly mistaken, and I pray to God that we're going to prove them wrong.
1: Now, the only way that caravan can make it is if someone organized it. And as I understand... Uh, One of the main organizers had been in custody. I heard that yesterday. Whether or not he's still in custody, I don't know. Uh, But it's a definite political organization. It's it's intimidation, is what it is. And um, absolutely, I was was watching the news, and they're saying the border patrol is saying, "Well, we're putting him on the bus, and we're letting him off in Texas." And then the next news article I turned over in my hand was report that these illegal aliens, once they end up in Texas, are Given voter registrations with the box checked that said "United, United <laughs> States citizen," so we're getting voter intimidation. We're getting uh, voter fraud with these illegal aliens. They're trying to stack the deck.
6: I, I introduced a bill up here for voter ID in Maine, and it got shot down uh, by the Democrats. and And the simple argument was, you know, you you can't cash a check. I went to the bank today in my hometown, and it was a new teller, and she asked for an ID for me to cash a check at a bank that i had for 20 years. And and we got to show an ID to buy alcohol and to buy cigarettes and to get on planes, but it's voter suppression to ask for an ID when we do one of the basic uh, privileges we have as a citizen is to cast a ballot in an election. And they call that voter suppression. That's the mentality that you're up against.
1: It's it's crazy. As as you said, you need the voter ID to go anywhere else, do anything else. Um, but to ask them for that to vote is just too far. It's too much. Matter of fact, here in the state where I am in South Carolina, Nikki Haley put into place because they challenged the law that was passed. Nikki Haley said, all right, fine. For this amount of time, anyone that cannot get to motor vehicles to get a state ID, we will provide you transportation. We will pick you up at your front door, take you to motor vehicles, wait for you, and take you home. And they said something like half a million voters were disenfranchised because they don't have voter ID. Uh, Well, not even 2,000 people signed up for the free ride. So that goes to show, isn't this yeah. another lie?
4: Mhm.
6: I agree, but we're gonna keep fighting. Uh,
1: you got a good fight there. And so he, I gotta tell. Go ahead. I I'd like to say
6: why, why I still get you on here, just because I know you know the reason you reached out was you know with, with Corporal Cole is that I, I'd like to, just to say that you know for the tragedy that 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 happened and that was a. It was, it was a murder. I mean, uh, Gene was, was murdered by a uh, young man with drug issues, and, and, and I know they're going to go through the process and everything down through, but it rocked this community to its core. And I am so proud of my community that banded together and has embraced Cheryl and the entire family uh, and turned out for that bridge dedication. And Gene is, is just so apropos on that. Sunday afternoon on his 62nd birthday. It was, it was wrapping enough to walk across the bridge, literally. And, and this is, you, could, you can go back and look at it. The sun came out as, as Cheryl and the family unveiled the, the plaques across the bridge. And this little town of Norwich Walk uh, bonded together. And that's what rural Maine can do. And that's why we serve and that's why I'm so proud of where I was born and raised. And, and uh, I want to say thank you. For reaching out and recognizing and doing a tribute to G.
1: Oh, it was my honor. It was a it was a difficult one because um, I've lost fellow brethren in blue, and it's, it never gets easier, never ever. And uh, I understand what it's like when these guys and gals stand there at attention in line, uh, paying honor to those that gave their life for everyone else. And I'm going to start crying in a few seconds. <laughs> As my husband said, cops don't cry. (laughs) Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We really do. (laughs) But uh, people can find you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I
6: just said thank you. Just thank you again. It means a lot.
1: Well, uh, people can find you if they want to know more about you and your campaign by going to Facebook, and it's Brad Farron for Senate, correct?
6: Yes, correct.
1: All right. And how do you look in the polls so far? What are they showing you?
6: They don't tell me because they don't want me to know, but I, <laughs> I think we're doing I, you know we're working our tails off. We got 17 days. We're knocking on doors. We're doing the social media, we get the mailings and, and we're just being out there with our family and friends and uh, like to think we're running on what we have done the last four years uh, with uh, some legislation. You know, the answer isn't always more laws. Sometimes it's cleaning up the stuff that 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 we've made a mess of before, and and, and actually reducing some legislation, and and uh, keeping keeping people informed. And I I I'm very optimistic. I, uh, I I have faith in people, and and the feedback's been phenomenal. And we're just going to keep working our plan until November six.
1: Well, God bless you for that. And uh, good luck on the campaign. Uh, I just want to see the, the country start to turn redder and redder and redder after each and every one of these elections. We need to get that conservative message and voice out there. And uh, thank you for your service too uh, in the military. I thought I put up that picture of you holding the uh, machine gun. It's like it's up on the uh, the video right now. <laughs>
6: That, drive, that drives the liberals a little crazy. That's on my. That's on. That's on the my uh, main state house base, uh, official page as well. So people know pretty much where I stand.
1: <laughs> God's guns and guts. That's where we stand, right?
7: <laughs> there you go. You got it.
1: I think I should get a t-shirt made of that. God, guns, and guts. <laughs> <laughs>
7: <laughs>
1: wow. Oh man, so. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us, Brad. You know, I know I got a hold of you yesterday, so I wasn't able to delve as much into uh, an interview with you as I would like to. As it, I had so much other stuff that was going on. But, you know, I want to give you my support and hope people out there listening in Maine vote for you.
6: Well, thank you so much. And if you uh, you folks make it up here to Maine sometime, the lobster's on me.
1: <laughs> you got that. You got that. All right, right. I'm in. All right. I knew there you go. I knew they'd get a response. All right. I'm in. (laughs) Brad Farron, check him out. Uh, Brad Farron for Senate over on Facebook. And And just everyone get out there and vote. Please vote, vote, vote. Oh, here's here's something else that I was gonna talk to Drew McKissick about. Uh, there's a couple of liberal Harvard law professors that are lending their name to a new, new campaign, and they're hoping to expand the Supreme Court in 2021 by four justices. And it looks like this is our guest coming in on the line now. Next victim up into the batting box, That's us welcome aboard South Carolina GOP Chair Drew McKissick. How are you doing today, Drew? How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, having just one heck of a good day today. <laughs> Anything that can go wrong is going <laughs> wrong with us. Hello. <laughs> well, well that, that's, that's better, than,
7: uh, better than a lot of people, and I uh, hope we'll just be that same way in about two weeks. If we do our job and more hard. we'll have the same kind of day two weeks from today.
1: Well, let's hope so, from your lips to God's ears, because we're watching this caravan and wondering just what the heck we're going to do. This is, this is absolutely nuts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I was watching.
7: Um, I forget what it was. It might have been Fox News or something. Where uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich was on about a week ago, and he made the point that you know the two key words in this election were going to be Kavanaugh and Caravan. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I think I know for a fact, you know, from the party end of things that we saw during the whole recent Kavanaugh mess uh, that you know we as a party. Uh, picked up something on the order of about 2,600 people who had came in to volunteer on our online volunteer pages uh, for, you know, phone calls, door knocks, yard signs, et cetera, because we were using uh, the issue of the Kavanaugh hearings as essentially, you know, bait, for lack of a better word, to get folks to come in and sign up. Uh, and we were getting those from, you know, ads that we ran on Facebook and so forth. And, uh, you know, that just, as soon as all that mess started to go down, uh, volunteering, through those means online just went through the roof uh and i have to feel that uh you know this caravan issue for the next couple of weeks is probably going to be the same thing uh and we'll be you know again taking those same steps in terms of and using this issue for those purposes because democrats have overreached which they usually do you got know, one thing you almost always count on them to do is to overreach and so far sometimes that they become our best salesman for our message, you know, just in terms of, uh, as, a, as a counter-example, of the way things ought to be. Uh, and, you know, they certainly did that in Kavanaugh, Mess. and uh, I think uh, uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham basically uh, enunciated what millions of people were thinking in the course of that hearing, uh, and it's just lit a fire under our folks.
1: Yeah, you know, I was surprised with Lindsey Graham, you know, how he all of a sudden seemed very, very conservative and then he came out with the thing about DACA, uh, <laughs> Amnesty for DACA. And it's like, oh, old Lindsay's back again. <laughs> you never know which side of the bed he's going to wake <laughs> up on. <laughs>
7: Well, you know, you have to, you know, you take your victories where you get them. And, uh, you know, I know that certainly for, uh, you know, the last, uh, couple of weeks in terms of the judicial issues and with the, with, and with the Kavanaugh hearings and, and plus the fact that, you know, uh, you know, Lindsay is going to be the next chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, you know, um, if, you know, 99% sure because um, odds are that we'll maintain a Senate majority. Uh, and you know, current Chairman Grassley's moving on to a different committee, and, and that will elevate Lindsey to the chairmanship there. And you know, those Democrats on that committee have, uh, you know, if nothing else, uh, they're on notice now that they've thoroughly ticked off the person who's going to hold the gavel over them next time they're on that committee.
1: You know, the funny thing is, is though, I today's Buford Gazette, my socialist rag, came in the in the in today, and front page headline reads, "Democrats lead by thirteen points." And I look at my husband and go, what poll are they
6: quoting?
7: <laughs> well, you know, some of those, whoever's running that poll or whoever's waiting that poll and whatever math they're using in a poll like that, I'd say they're probably smoking some stuff that's still illegal in South Carolina. Uh, you know, that's I mean, that's about as far from reality, in my opinion, what I've seen, I think, as we can get. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's going to be a close race, and our job is we have to get our votes out. Uh, we have to do what we've done really well for a long time, and that is identify and turn out other Republicans. We've got a conservative message, uh, here in South Carolina, conservatives outnumber liberals two to one. Uh, and it's our conservative message and the hard work that our volunteers have done for the last, you know, 30 plus years that have had us on a winning streak in this state. Uh, and I know nationally, you know, these, uh, generic ballot numbers that you see, you, know, you gotta look deeper in the weeds when you're looking at stuff like that for one thing is that poll and other ones like it, uh, you know, sometimes they'll be registered voters, uh, which are, you know, not the same thing as likely voters. Uh, And even if they are likely voters, which that one may have been, what they aren't showing you, which uh, one poll the other day did, though, I think it might have been the Wall Street Journal poll, was they had a generic ballot question nationwide. But then they reduced the responses down to people who were just in the 60 or so key congressional districts around the country. And when they reduced it down to that group of people in those districts that are going to decide the balance of power in the House of Representatives, the difference was Republicans by plus one. So, you know, when it comes to congressional boundaries, as you well know, it all depends on, you know, or congressional races, it all depends on where you live. Because, you know, we're, districts are so cut up and gerrymandered and so forth, and uh, you know, so if you've got an outsized number of people from New York City and Los Angeles that are answering that poll in terms of a national poll, well, you know that's going to skew things in the, the Democratic direction.
1: Now it's it's amazing because uh, I when I saw that headline, I'm going, "Hmm, didn't they do this with Trump in 2016?" So absolutely,
2: absolutely, one of one of the things that they they seem to have forgotten from uh, the 2016 presidential election is that a lot of people who were polled said they there's going to vote for a certain person and that they did that because that they, you know, they want to reveal that they were really going to vote for Trump. And I think they've fallen into the same trap yeah. this time.
7: Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I mean, you know, in terms of, I mean, yeah, regardless of how people see themselves, and, and even how they ought to be seen in a rational world, you know, if, if they're just bombarded by so much garbage from the media about, you know, well, if you're a conservative or you're a Republican, you're a bigot, you're a sexist, you're a homophobe, you're this, you're that, whatever. And if somebody calls them on the phone and asks them who they're going to vote for,
6: you know, well, maybe they don't answer
7: honestly. Or maybe, maybe they fudge or, may, or may, you know, whatever. They don't want to respond. Well, when they walk into a voting booth, it's a totally different matter uh and you know there's you know as uh, i think richard nixon called it you know 40 plus years ago a great silent majority uh and i think you still have a lot of that i think actually a lot of that what used to be called the silent majority and what later might have been referred to as reagan democrats were a lot of folks who came out and especially in rust belt states and supported president trump and was the reason why he was elected and you know pollsters did not see that coming
1: you know i was watching uh, trump's rally last night and then they were showing scenes from Obama's rally, and the difference, the, the energy and excitement with the Trump rally and the crowd, the size of the crowd. He, he went down to the point of oh having yeah. the fine oh yeah. art of a tailgate party with big screen TVs out there so they yeah. could still participate. You don't see that at an Obama rally.
7: <laughs> I think Obama's got a little bit of uh, uh, what you might call rally envy going on. Uh, You know, I mean, he's, you know, if anything, I think we learned that he's a little bit of a political uh, um, uh, narcissist. Uh, He likes, you know, Obama has everything was about himself, never about his party. Uh, He's the reason why his party lost 800 and some odd state house and Senate seats around the country over the course of his presidency. Uh, And, you know, and he's out there running around now taking credit for the economy. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, so, you know, yeah, he's got some envy going on, but, you know, right now, uh, you know, Trump's got the energy and, uh, you know, people camping out overnight in order to come to a rally and hear the president. I think it's about a hundred thousand people bought tickets to get into an arena that held less than 20. Uh, you know, and that was just in one state and they're doing these and, you know, state after state after state. I think he's probably got four or five a week going on or something like that. Um, So, you know, it's it's similar to what we saw back in 2016.
1: Well, you know, you and I, I consider friends, um, and I see our party here in South Carolina, since you took over, highly energized. And one of the things that I I admire about you, you think of new innovative ways in which to get people uh, educated Mm. about their vote and what is out there. And what you have done on the website, you have now scvotes.sc.gov, where it's a voter guide for any state. No matter what state you're in, you can key in your state, and, mm-hmm. and it gives you over to a guide mm-hmm. so they know what's on the ballot. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, the, the uh, when I, and some of that was some other stuff. And I've, I've worked with you know other organizations over the past, and one, that's one of the things I actually did on my own personal website. You know, in, in this cycle, drewmckissick.com, and I've got you know voter guides. Uh, section on there will pull the list to every major uh you know conservative nonprofit organization in the country that does voter guides or congressional scorecards or legislative scorecards you know depending on the state and try to offer uh, uh connections and links to uh, the voter information they have in those states and i email that out to my list nationwide i've got about you know 30,000 or so uh conservative activists on a national list that I've been working for for many years now and trying to connect folks to that, encouraging them to go on and, you know, take that information, but also to take it and post links to it even on Facebook and social media and so forth and just spread the word. I mean, the bottom line is uh, if more people, uh, more conservatives, more folks, quite frankly, whether they think of themselves as a conservative per se or not, Uh, but they're sitting in church somewhere on a Sunday, Uh, you know, if they go and vote their values, we'll be fine. Uh, You'll change the country. If you had everybody sitting in the church on Sunday vote their actual values on Election Day, they'd change the country. Uh, The problem is, in many cases, the lack of education in terms of connecting their values and what they believe with the actual candidates that are on the ballot. And therefore, you end up a lot of folks who, you know, through ignorance or lack of education and so forth, will vote for and have supported Democratic candidates. And, you know, many times couldn't tell you or wouldn't believe if you told them that, uh, you know, these are candidates or this is a political party that supports, you know, abortion on demand for any reason whatsoever to the moment of birth paid for with your tax dollars. You know, well, the vast, overwhelming majority of people in this country oppose that. But they're not connecting that with Democrats, with those candidates and so forth. And, you know, voter education information, voter guides and so forth, one way to try to cut through that.
1: Well, you know, one of the benefits of the social network, the computer, the online instant whatever your smartphone is that information it gets out there fast and we had brandon strucker on the show he started the walk away movement and i i'm surprised Uh how many people have just taken to that movement when they actually did as you said compare their values to what they see Mm -hmm. coming out of the democratic party and i am surprised when i start talking to people it's like yeah i'm part of the walk away
7: that's, uh, and, you know, just, and again, it's like you said, it's comparative. Uh, so for example, uh, we have on the state Republican party's website, uh, the, uh, uh, we've set up a, a page for links to the conservative organizations here in South Carolina that do have voter guides and other voter educational information. And we are have already sent out one e blast of that to our entire list around the state. And we'll do that probably once or twice a week here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but one of the things that we have on there. Uh, actually two different versions of this, I take that back, of uh, platform comparisons. So they're like one page, easy to download, print off on your desktop printer, make copies of and distribute to other friends or other folks in churches or at work or whatever, and or share a copy of it on social media, you know, in PDF form, that is just a straight up verbatim uh, language uh, of differences between the two parties platforms on, say, you know, five eight or nine issues uh whether it's you know abortion or whether it's education or whether it's taxes or whatever no you know interpreter filter or anything like that just the direct quotes out of the platform for the republican party on the the life issue and a direct quote out of the democratic party platform on that issue and just let those platforms speak for themselves that's powerful information and that's you know like you said a lot of folks who've just not done comparative uh, looking at the two parties in the past or doing it now and they are as you said walking away.
1: Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully and into our waiting arms. <laughs> you know, I over here we have a a dysfunctional school board. So out of the 7 seats we've got 13 candidates. Um I was at my I was mm-hmm. able to bring to my tea party over two meetings 11 of mm-hmm. those 13, and that's like herding cats when you have five or six of them standing there uh, taking questions. <laughs> uh, but I found yep. that when I was doing this, uh, more and more people were showing up, people that I've never seen before. So people mm-hmm. are being energized because yep. they're seeing the way the country is going. And you know it started with the Tea Party mm-hmm. movement. And... They thought they defeated yep. us, but it's continuing forward. And one of the other things I did was I mm. said, put up or shut up. If you want the Republican Party to return to its conservative roots, you must get involved within the Republican Party. So I made sure I became Absolutely. a legislative chair for our county tr- party, became mm-hmm. a delegate to the state convention, um, mm-hmm. and I'm getting people mm-hmm. to become involved. We can't keep the conservative values yep. if we don't help control the organization
7: well well look i mean this is uh and and i've said this in a lot of speeches that i give and actually i just drove back from charleston i was with the republican women's group down there this morning and and for lunch uh you know we've got a wonderful country with a wonderful thing called self-government but the most important part of that phrase is self you can't outsource self-government to somebody else by definition And if you do, you're never going to like the result, period, because nobody's going to care about the things that you do as much as you do. Uh, So you're giving up your seat and your voice to somebody else when you don't get involved. But, you know, it's it's one thing for us to have a great platform, which we do. I think we've got the best platform we've had since I got involved 31 years ago. It's got better in every cycle. And I would say if you look at a a chart, which would chart how conservative our platform has gotten versus how many electoral victories we've had in this state, the more conservative our platform has gotten, the better off we've done at the ballot box from from 30 years ago to now, period. But, you know, it's one thing for us to have things that we say that we believe in. You know, we've got policies, we've got principles, we've got things in the platform. But if you don't do something about the things that you say you believe in, then, you know, it all and then none of it matters. Being involved in the party doesn't matter. Being involved in your government, your community, whatever, doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we had founding fathers of this country believed in something, and then they did something about it. You know, if we believe in something, how strongly we say we believe in our core conservative values, and we need to work at least as hard as we say we believe in those things. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, something that has always been passion of mine, is trying to help other folks who are, you know, uh, who think and believe the same way that I do, find a way that they can have a difference and make an impact on those things that they care about. Uh, you know, because, I mean, look, I mean, People are not full-time political activists, and I get that. I'm not asking people to become a full-time political activists. You've got jobs and lives and things to do. Uh, you know, all I'm asking is for people to do just a little bit more than what they're doing right now. Period. Uh, so hmm. for the next two weeks, uh, you know, that would mean if you could go to you know uh, segop.com right there on the home page, there's a volunteer link. Uh, we're looking for volunteers. You can sign up to you know, make an hour's worth of phone calls to turn out other voters or volunteer to go knock doors. You know, the, the victory campaign for the party, working in conjunction with Katie Arrington's campaign down there, for instance, is organizing door walks and so forth. you got a couple hours in the afternoon to be a part of that, do that. If all you can do is put up a yard sign, check the box on there, I'll put up a yard sign, whatever you Everybody can do just a little bit more than they're doing right now for the next two weeks because, you know, We've seen all the craziness. We talk about that all the time. All of us, you know, you guys are just like I am. I'm sure you're news junkies. And you, <laughs> we, we get down in the weeds on all this stuff, and we see it all, and we consume it all the time. And, you know, so then we get kind of, you know, antsy because we think everybody's not as stirred up as we are because of all the stuff that we're seeing, you know, and we forget those people have lives. And, you know, but uh, the thing that we need to remember is that, you know, you don't acquire, or rather you can't govern if you don't win. You don't acquire political power. If you don't win, you can't govern. And, you know, these people out there with all the craziness that we see going on, you need to go to bed at night, every night for the next two weeks, with one thought in our head, and that is the only thing separating those crazy people from real political power is you. Period. And what you're willing to do for the next couple of weeks. And well, it's as simple true. as that. Yeah, I mean you know, Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, there's, there's also, if they go to their local GOP, uh, they can volunteer through there, but a lot of them have it where you don't even have to leave your home. Sure. You can make the phone calls. Absolutely. They, give you, they set you up where you can make the calls online. So they don't yes. even have to get out of their easy yep. chair.
7: I mean, the, you know, the, the, the mechanics of all this stuff over the years have changed drastically and gotten easier and easier for a volunteer to have an outsized impact, quite frankly. Yeah. And so, you know, to your point, uh, instead of coming into, you know, a big room and organized phone bank with a bunch of people and rotary phones and a bunch of paper lists, you know, like we used to have, uh, you can go online and just, and say you're willing to be a volunteer. Someone will get back with you with an app you can download on your phone. They've already got the list that so they want you to call pre-plugged in there. You don't even have to have it, know what they are. You log in, and it will play music in your ears up until it connects with a live person for you to go through a couple of questions, script on, and plug in their information and then move on to the next person. I mean, in an hour's time, you can make, you know, a 100 phone calls. It will just connect you and connect you and connect you until, you know, you're tired of doing it. Uh, and like you said, you can do it from anywhere. I mean, we've got people uh, in uh, Spartanburg and, Pickens County and other places around the state who, through those means, are making calls down into the first congressional district for Katie Arrington's race. So, yes, you are correct. You can do that, and it's easy to do. Uh, the main thing that has to happen before you do that is you got to let us know you want to volunteer.
2: Bruce, <laughs> what, yes, what strategies do do you have in place to attract? More minorities over to the um, Mm -hmm. conservative and and Republican Mm -hmm. brand because I Mm -hmm. really I'm of the belief that the more people that we remove from the Democrat Party, especially Mm -hmm. minorities, we weaken them, and um, I really think I think really that all this um, illegal immigration um, stuff is about replacing blacks who are leaving the Democrat Party. Yes, because their numbers are. Growing, you know, this drinking.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: So, what do yep. y'all have in, you know, in mm-hmm. place
7: as far as strategies so, to track? Well, well, a couple minorities. couple things, uh, you know. So, uh, for for one thing, uh, you know, you work off you work off your strong suits. So, one thing we know that uh, folks in the black community are definitely seeing uh, is that the economy is getting better, and you've got the lowest unemployment black unemployment rate in history now, uh, and there's there's a reason for that. You know, we've had an election. we got a new president Take takes business seriously, cut the tax code, uh, cut taxes, and uh, reduce some burdens on businesses. Businesses are able to hire more people. That means more people, whether they're, you know, uh, uh, white, black, brown, or whatever, have more jobs, and the families are more successful. And we've seen that reflected in even recent public opinion polls about the president. You know, these numbers we see all the time for the president's public approval, well, that's just a national number, but the number – uh, within the black community uh, that rated the president favorably in the most recent poll I saw was up to 35%. Well, this time last year it was 23%. Well, Democrats, national Democrats, look at a number like that, like Dracula looking at the cross. You know, I mean, that's, that's the last thing they want to see. Uh, so, so to begin with, helping communicate that message, and we do that uh, with online digital strategies, pushing articles about the economy and so forth to targeted folks, Um, you know, we will do that. We will do, um, uh, other things with the RNC to help push that message in a targeted way. So that's the main thing right now is, you know, you go with what's hot in terms of the economy, especially when you're coming right up on an election. But then also, as we just discussed a minute ago, uh, the immigration issue, this caravan thing is going to run a lot all the way up through to election day. I have all confidence that, uh, our, uh, what I refer to as uh, our Twitterer-in-chief up in the, the <laughs> White House is going to keep all eyes focused on that caravan for the next two weeks for that very reason. Uh, and as you point out, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's, it's the minority community in this country, the legal minority in this community in this country, whether they are black or whether they are Hispanic, that has the most to lose from illegal immigration. Uh, and, you know, I, whenever... You make those issues clear uh, to uh, folks within the black community. Uh, you know, I see an outsized number of them beginning to w- be willing to listen to uh, Republican
1: candidates. I also see uh, the attempt at voter intimidation. Are you seeing that also anywhere? Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, well, you know, I haven't seen big examples of it here yet for this cycle uh but you know we do see that in different places will pop up all around the country uh and you know it's it's sort of par for the course with democrats and, i mean and you know it's uh, uh we, we did see the issue down in katie's race with the um uh the i forget what you would call it i guess the the digital version of a poster that they had out there of Katie Arrington as Scarlett O'Hara in front of the plantation along with uh, Donald Trump and then several uh, black individuals that had endorsed her as, you know, basically looking like, I think, slaves on the plantation. Um, you know, and the intimidation factor there to me is this is what this is. Democrats basically saying this is what we're going to do to you if you're an African-American and you decide to you know get off of the liberal plantation and support Republicans and think for yourself. You know, we're going to embarrass you. We're going to humiliate you. This is how we're going to treat you. And, you know, so in that sense, it is intimidation. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, um, it's par for the course.
1: Well, there's, there's this group out there, a bunch of gun control groups, that are launching a voter protection campaign to keep guns out of the polling booths this mm-hmm. election day. And they're telling people who see people mm-hmm. with firearms to text GUNS DOWN to 91990 and reports would be sent to a quote nonpartisan election protection experts in other words the cops (laughs) so can you imagine what's going to happen in these these polling places even if you're not carrying a firearm if someone decides to send one of these texts next thing the polling location is going to be closed down on lockdown while they look for a shooter (laughs)
7: well you know just uh, as far as here in South Carolina uh yeah trust me when i say we have got a cadre a large cadre of lawyers that are on speed dial uh we will have several conference calls with them leading up to election day they will be organized uh and you know they will have we'll have at least one assigned for every uh region or or county rather even of the state uh and if we think we're even beginning to have a problem they will, they are ready to take uh, take the phone call and get on the case and get down to the local county courthouse or whatever we have to do to straighten out any situation. Make sure that every Republican vote can be cast and can be recorded, and that we don't have a problem. Um, you know, the only way you deal with people like that is you just be ready to deal with them. Uh, whenever you know, whenever they start the shenanigans, you, you got to be there and ready to uh, call them on it. Uh, you can't just sit back and take it.
1: No, because there's. They even went so far, uh, Curtis, with your friend George Farrell of Black Pack. They created a phony, uh, duplicate website, making people think that it's George Farrell's Mm -hmm. conservative Black Pack organization. So you know, they um, they're doing anything Mm -hmm. and everything.
7: Yeah, and they will. Look, I mean it's, and and I get it. And we got to be ready for the stuff that they do, And, and we are. Uh, know, yeah, but the the one thing that we, the trap that we can't ever fall into is to spend too much time worrying about what they are doing, and not enough time about what we're doing or what we're not doing. And that's the thing I would say to all of your listeners out there, especially those in the in the Low Country there in Beaufort County. Uh, what we do, what you do for the next two weeks, is the difference in this campaign. Um, you know. Other folks on the other side, they're going to do the kind of stuff they're going to do. We're going to deal with it when they do. The main thing we need everybody out there to worry about is volunteering, contacting other Republicans, contact, talk to the folks that are sitting next to you in church, the folks you're standing to at work, other fellow conservatives, and make sure that they go vote their values on election day, period. If they do that. Then we'll have the same thing happen on election day we had, had happen here as conservatives for the last 30 years in this state. When I first got involved, we only had one statewide elected official, and that was Carol Campbell. Uh, now we've got all the statewide constitutional officers. We only had two out of six members of Congress back then. Now we've got six out of seven. We've got, had one senator then, we've got both of them now. We used to be a minority in the state house and the state senate. Now we've got a majority an increasing number of county councils and sheriff's races and everything all around the state. And that all happened because of two reasons. One, our conservative principles that we communicated. And two, because of the hard work that everybody down there at the grassroots does. And that's where the rubber hits the road for the next two weeks.
1: Yeah, now if we could only get rid of Clyburn. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying. We've been trying. (laughs) one, One battle at a time. One battle at a time. Yeah, and poor Gerhard Gressman uh, ended up having surgery, so you don't see him on the campaign trail. You know, Even when we had a chance, we yeah. haven't been able to get rid of him yet. I'm going to have to pry him out somehow or other. Um, but on, the, on our ballot here, we've got a constitutional amendment uh, going up um, on Section 7, Article 6 of our state constitution relating to the superintendent of education. At this point in time, he's an, he's an elected official, and we want to see if he we could move Correct. him into being an appointment. What's the benefit of one over the other? So people can understand what this this is.
7: Well, you know, a couple of things. One, you know, if it's a appointed uh, position, that means being appointed by the governor. And yeah, you know, the problem is. Just to back up a little bit, and this goes all the way back to the late 1800s when our current Constitution in this state was written. I mean, basically what happened was the legislature divided executive power to the four winds, you know, which makes the legislature, um, you know, excessively or, or outsized, outsizedly, you know, powerful versus the other branches of state government. Uh, and so, you know, instead of having a governor that then filled all the cabinet agencies, you know, and so forth, you've got, you know, elected for education here, elected for state here, elected for agriculture here, elected, used to elect the head of the the, the national guard for goodness sake up until, you know, about six years ago. Um, so one is in terms of executive accountability, I mean, when most people, you know, they, gripe in many cases rightfully so about the schools you know and they're wondering well, what's the governor doing about that you know most folks don't think you know off the top of their head well we got a superintendent of education and that person shares power with the state school board and that shares power with this that and the other thing so if we had a you know a streamlined executive or cabinet style government the executive the governor would have more authority and therefore you know more accountability for what does and doesn't happen so one, you would know that the uh, superintendent of education uh, and state education policy was linked up with who the governor was. Now, right now, we do have a Republican superintendent of education, Molly Spearman. She works well with the governor's office, and she's supporting uh, this change. She's in favor of making it appointed. So is uh, Governor McMaster. Uh, and you know, but again, it would ensure that going forward, that you know, education policy would be lined up with whoever is in the governor's mansion. Uh and you know, so, I mean the party for for decades, as long as I can remember, have always endorsed moving to a more cabinet style government uh, government here in South Carolina. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you know only happens slowly and piecemeal when you can get the legislature to take a little bite of the apple and then put it on the ballot and then we had to pass it and so forth. And again, that's how we did it with the uh, adjutant general's job years ago and how we did it with the lieutenant governor being, you know, a partner with the governor, running mate with the governor now in this cycle because two or four years ago, whenever it was, we passed that other statewide constitutional amendment to let the governor pick the lieutenant governor, running mate. Um, So, you know, let's put it this way. The other downside for the elected, because the way we do it now, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but late last week, I think it was last Wednesday, the Democrat who was running for state superintendent education withdrew from the race because, come to find out, he's a felon. And the guy (laughs) had a felony background, and it got out in the newspaper, and he withdrew. So he's not running anymore. So, you know, that tells you something about qualifications. I mean, you know, anybody could run. I can run for superintendent education. I'm certainly not qualified. Um, So (laughs) so (laughs) the point is, uh, one of the other benefits that you get is, you know, the governor – uh, appointing someone who would meet some you know some minimum qualifications which would be put into the law by the legislature you know and so forth so uh, you know you got a little bit more uh, certainty that number one this person is going to be working with the governor and their policies but two that they've you know more certain that they've got the minimum qualifications that you need versus just being a good campaigner with a good financial network.
1: well speaking about criminals uh, voting I saw in this weekend's paper, that there is a push now that if you had um, a minor infraction, say, for dealing drugs or something like that, not a felony, even though I think this will open the door for that, they're looking to see if they can pardon these individuals with a criminal past history to mm-hmm. allow them to vote. Do you know anything mm-hmm.
7: about that? Oh uh, Well, no, I know look, uh, nationwide, I know Democrats have always been pushing that. Are trying to do that and trying to get you know they want to get felons back on the on the voter rolls. But period, they want to go let them let them vote in jails for goodness sake. Uh, you know, currently right now that's that's not legal here in South Carolina, and there's no chance that we're going to make that legal here in South Carolina. Uh, there are other states, some of which are controlled by Democrats, where they've you know tried to do that, tried the monkey with the law. Virginia's is one where the Democratic governor tried to, you know, wave an administrative wand to make that happen in Virginia. And the legislature there, I think, took him to court and they had it overturned. But it would have put about 100,000 criminals essentially uh, on the voter rolls or given them the right to get on the voter rolls. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just part and parcel for what they do and what they're about. And so, they're, so you know, they're not about pushing an agenda that people, that a majority of voters actually believe in and want to vote for. They are about you know being a collection of grievance groups that's looking for any way they possibly can cobble together enough folks to win on Election Day, legal or not.
1: Well, they'll, they'll do anything. But right. now the other thing I'm seeing is the actual attacks on conservative individuals. And I'm not a big fan of Mitch McConnell all the time. Sometimes I, I agree with him, but <laughs> not always. But his, right. he and his poor wife were out having dinner and someone accosted them yep. in the restaurant and fortunately the patrons and the employees of that restaurant stood up for McConnell telling him to leave him alone and finally escorted him out of oh, the yeah. restaurant but we're seeing the attacks more and oh, more yeah. uh... Kevin McCarthy just had his offices vandalized I believe it was the Wyoming GOP that had mm-hmm. theirs firebombed um, this is scary yep.
7: well you know yeah, I, I agree and you know it's uh again Democrats are you know or or i have heard someone once say that you know liberalism is a two year old child that's not getting what he wants um yeah you know, and that's the way these people are they don't get what they want, and so they they go rabbit or they go feral, so to speak um and you know and it's, it's you know with uh increasing you know vitriolity, um i I think you know. One of the reasons why our politics in this country has gotten more uh, vitriolic for the last, let's say, 20 years, and at an increasing pace, in my opinion, uh, is because the things that we are arguing about politically now are more fundamental than they used to be. You know, we're not arguing between the margins anymore. You know, where there's legitimate room to have an argument. Uh, you know, now we're arguing over things that are foundational to the country or foundational to culture and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, like the definition of a man and a woman. You know, that's the latest thing. You know, the Trump administration is, <laughs> is put, working on putting out administrative guidance to the rest of the government that, you know, what defines a man and a woman? You know, what kind of world are we having to live in now where the government has to come in and tell us, you know, yeah, that that's a man and that's a woman, you know, the kind of stuff that we figure out whenever a new baby's born and we hold it up and we look, you know. That's, <laughs> you know, now we have to have, you know, administrative guidance on this. You know, that's the kind of, that's how far things have come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when, when we begin to have, you know, just vitriolic, you know, conversation fight political fights because one side doesn't want to recognize something that fundamental you really can't have much of a rational conversation anymore uh you know so in many cases we're kind of getting beyond that on a lot of these issues unfortunately there's still some stuff we can have legitimate argument about but things like that hey, the, the, those things aren't up for debate so how do you have a you know rational conversation over things that you know, aren't up for debate, things that we've known for thousands of years, which all of a sudden they think they've come up with a better answer for. Uh, I mean, you know, and much less, you know, now with all the socialism that these folks want to talk about. I mean, you know, we've had, what, Bernie Sanders come down here and uh, Kamala Harris and uh, how many other ones in the liberal clown car come down here campaigning for uh, James Smith and Democrats here in the last, you know, two weeks. And, you know, an open admin, Bernie Sanders, the runner up for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination, you know, open and avowed socialist. And, you know, they come down here with a straight face and they're selling these ideas, which is just antithetical to you know, the founding of our country. And, yep. you know, what I love is when they do that, you never see them hold up places like Cuba or Venezuela as examples of their wonderful ideas. You yeah. know, you ever <laughs> notice that? They never mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, years ago, as Ronald Reagan. It said that, uh, you know, uh, that socialism only works in two places, heaven where they don't need it, and hell where they've already got it. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm not in favor, and I don't think people in this state are in favor of this place becoming another social <laughs> hellhole. I'm just, I'm just saying. True. <laughs> yes, sir.
2: I, I believe if the um, Democrats lose big on the uh, midterms, and I really, mm-hmm. really tend to think that they will. I think they're going to be left with no choice but to try to, to go all out to push this national popular vote initiative, mm-hmm. in which they subvert mm-hmm. our electoral college. What are your thoughts on yeah. that?
7: I, I don't have any doubt that more of them will try. I agree with you on that, uh, and it goes even further than that. I've seen within the last uh, couple of weeks, um, well, actually, you know, since the Kavanaugh here, uh, you know, leading liberal thinkers. Within the Democratic orbit, Uh, several articles, you could go out and you could probably Google it after, you know, we get off the call and you can find some of them. Well, they're talking about, you know, the need to reform the Senate, you know, because it's terrible where we've got these Republican senators from these small group of states that don't represent a majority of America have been able to confirm Kavanaugh, you know. So we need to reform the Senate, make it like the House. Uh, And, you know, you talk about the Electoral College. They, They didn't win. An election, so we got to get rid of the electoral college, and you know they didn't get a judicial nominate or appointment that or one happened that they don't like. So we got to change the Senate. Uh, You know, it's never about them winning or losing on the basis of the power of their ideas. It's when they lose, the system's broken. (laughs) So it's it's (laughs) never they lost because people don't agree with them. They lost because the system doesn't work. Uh, So yeah, I have all ideas. You'll see more of them try to do that. Um, But uh, the the problem with um. Uh, the idea to, say, change the Senate, for one, a uh, little-known piece of trivia, you know, it's not just as simple as doing a constitutional amendment if they were to try to change the U.S. Senate. The Constitution specifically says that no state, no individual state, shall be deprived of equal suffrage in the United States Senate without their consent. So in other words, every state in this country except South Carolina could pass an amendment that says we're going to do the Senate by proportion, or proportional representation, but as long as South Carolina doesn't agree, it can't happen constitutionally. So, we're never gonna let that happen in terms of the electoral college. Uh, yeah, this national popular vote thing is a try to, a way to try to do an in run around the constitutional amendment to get rid of the electoral college. Uh, but again, you've got to get the support of enough states to actually do that. Uh, and you know, regarding the, the there's been some stuff they put out there saying, well, they've got you know this big number of states so far on board that have agreed. Uh, Well, in some of those cases, you've had some Republican legislatures after they got elected to pull their consent back from that, because, again, it's just legislation. They can change it on a dime. Uh, And also, many of the states that have passed that have only passed it on the condition that other states pass it. In other words, they understand we're not going to deprive ourselves of our individual unique voice unless other states are willing to do it, too, uh, which is, you know, whenever it's explained that way to voters, you know, they tend to rebel against it a little bit and let the legislators know.
1: Well, I got to tell you, I tell you what
2: else I think they're going to try to do too, and that's to um, add more seats to the Supreme Court if they win. You know, the right. presidency in twenty twenty, and if yeah. they win one of the houses or the Senate.
1: Yeah, well, I got to uh, tell again, you, from, if, as, soon as, a, as soon as that national matter. Part, as soon as that national popular vote legislation hit the uh, Judiciary Committee, I got a hold of Chip Campson, Tom Davis, uh, Shannon Erickson, and I got a resounding, yeah. oh, hell no, yeah. it's not coming out of committee. So we right. know South e- Carolina is safe. Exactly. But, uh, he, exactly. About, they,
7: they know exactly what we just talking about.
1: Right. And the Supreme Court uh, is by a bunch of liberal yep. Harvard law professors, and it's called... project. And they're hoping to have this project to add four more Supreme Court justices by 2021. And I'm trying to see if I can see Uh, Harvard professors Mark Tushnet and Lawrence Tribe are the ones leading the uh, effort. And political scientists, a political scientist? That's an oxymoron. Uh, Aaron Belkin is behind this. Yeah.
7: Well, look uh, again, it's another case of they didn't get what they want, so they want to change or, or the system, or the system's broken. That's why they didn't get what they want. That's why they need some more members on the Supreme Court so the next president can come in and pack the Supreme Court or whatever. You know, uh, the reason why this stuff is so live or die for them is because of over the last, you know, generation or two, the judiciary has taken an outside, the federal judiciary specifically has taken an outsized role in our federal government, in our national life. That The founders never intended it to have, and that is where liberals have won most of their political victories, has been through the judiciary and, by extension, through the administrative state, the bureaucracy. Uh, And so anything that threatens that, you know, they get their back up about, and, you know, it's live or die, and, you know, it's going to start raining cats and dogs if you don't give them what they want. Uh, because they know that's where they've been winning. They haven't been winning, you know, these radical ideas at the ballot box. You know, whether it's whether it's abortion or gay marriage, or you go down the list. It's been through the judiciary. Uh, so anything that threatens their power in the judiciary, they understand very clearly. Um, you go know, all the way back to Robert Bork, all the way to Judge Kavanaugh. Whenever we're nominating a justice, it's the end of the world. Whenever they're nominating one, half of our guys are going to vote for who they nominated because that's the way it used to be up until about 30 years ago. Now, you win an election, you get the justices you want. Uh, Not anymore. And, you know, again, um, I think we can pretty much say those days are behind us now uh, going forward. And, you know, we just have to recognize that on our side that the rules have changed now and elections have consequences and we got to make sure we win and we can nominate those judges. But, um, uh, you know, I think the Kavanaugh, is a twofer, though, in that sense, because if you look back in his judicial record, he has also been a big uh, advocate on the bench of reigning in the administrative or bureaucratic state in terms of, uh, you know, whenever Congress passes, say, a big sweeping piece of legislation. And within the bill, there's language like, you know, uh, as the secretary shall determine, or you know the this uh particular agency shall be able to administer regulations under this piece of legislation, so basically it's a way for Congress to outsource its lawmaking authority to the bureaucracy and he has been a direct as a judge uh on the d c circuit uh a direct threat to that uh for the last i think ten years or so since he's been in, in that position, you know ruling against the uh, you know, that type of uh, Congress's ability to essentially outsource his lawmaking authority to the bureaucracy. Uh, that's another direct threat to the liberal establishment, and that's another reason why they opposed him, you know, so, you know, shamelessly.
1: Uh, what they did to him was absolutely horrific. <clears throat> but what else do you expect from them? Uh, one of the things that I love about you, Drew, is that <laughs> you you have been so dynamic, and we're seeing people getting out to do absentee voting and early voting and we're mm-hmm. seeing a turnout like we have never seen before in years and usually an off cycle mm-hmm. election is gets very low turn, voter turnout here in Beaufort cuz i sent uh, yep. hope a link to the article here in Beaufort county we actually doubled the number of registered voters in the mm-hmm. last year new voters not just reg, just uh-huh. new voters yep. um but, but this right. is something that you have on your website uh, that helps people to understand what's going on. And you have even gone mm-hmm. so far as tonight, you've got a victory uh, rally. Mm-hmm. You're already claiming yes, victory.
7: We got this, what we call our, 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 our victory rally and fundraiser, which we are uh, bringing all the candidates in for one last big rally, all the state candidates and the local candidates. And, of course, of that, also raising money for what we call the SEGOP state victory program is what we call it, uh, which is essentially the ground game for all the campaigns around the state. We you know, raise money collectively that benefits essentially all the candidates because we're working to turn out Republican votes that benefit the entire ticket. Um, so we'll be doing that this evening in Columbia. Uh, and just uh, on the point you made a minute ago, though, so it's not lost, talking about absentee. So in South Carolina, there are 15 reasons uh, that you can use legally to vote absentee. Number one, the first and foremost is you're over 65 years of age. You don't need any other excuse. You can vote absentee. The second one is if you have a job, you're going to be working that day, you can go vote absentee. So in those two r- excuses right there, we probably covered more than half the state. Uh, so odds are you can vote absentee. We put together a website. It's VoteAbsenteeSC.com. sc.com. You go there, you fill out the form online, and it will then push you to the uh, state election commission site to also send you a absentee uh, um, you know, uh, ballot. Uh, so you'll be able to cast that uh, you know, between here and the next two weeks. If you don't want to stand in line or you're going to be out of town or whatever it is, or you want to go ahead and just get your vote in the bank so you can be working the polls on election day, whatever it may be, you can go to voteabsenteesc.com and sign up for your voter absentee uh, ballot today.
1: Well, tomorrow, my, uh, my voting place is... Oh, hang on a second. Just to let Drew know, I, kn- I know exactly where my voting place is for absentee voting. It's on John Galt Drive. <laughs> so you can never forget that one.
7: Um, there
2: you go.
1: <laughs> go ahead, Curtis.
2: In Florida, they are putting uh, voting machines on campuses. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's a good idea or... I mean, are they doing that well, in
7: I South mean, Carolina too? Well, I mean, you know, we obviously we want to make it legal for people who are legally here and legal, you know, residents to vote. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, up until a couple of years ago, I was a resident of Richland County, I live in Lexington County now. In Richland County in 2012, uh, you know, we had the election machine debacle uh, where there weren't enough working voting machines at some selected precincts around the county uh and i personally stood in line with my dad for five and a half hours trying to vote um that was on purpose because uh we had a uh, local option sales tax on the ballot again where it failed two years prior and uh, folks on the inside wanted to run it again and the precincts that really opposed the penny sales tax the last time uh had an inordinate amount of non-working machines uh but you know i if you've got a lot of folks you know who are registered to vote in that college campus area and it makes it easier for people to vote but i always just err on the side of more people voting more people actually vote and cast informed ballots the better off are going to be uh, so if those folks are on that campus or legal residents of south carolina that change their residence to to here in the appropriate you know at least 30 30 days out uh, i believe is the law then you know I, I say fine i mean there are other things that we can um, spend time trying to you know, trying to take care of in order to do better at the ballot box. But um, uh, if it's easier for folks to get there and cast a ballot, better off, I say we'll be in the long run.
1: Now, where do we stand in South Carolina on party registration? I know we had the initiative to put the party so, registration on our, on our ID card. Mm-hmm.
7: Okay, so uh, last year, uh, state party proposed a resolution. Uh, to have partisan, a partisan registration option, not making it mandatory, but making it optional to voters when they were registered to vote they would be able to choose a party. Uh, we got uh, some sympathetic state legislators, took our resolution, and essentially introduced it as uh, legislation. And I got, I think the final count was 55 uh, House members co-sponsored that legislation. Uh, that is by far a record. We have never gotten that far down the road uh, to success on this issue in the past. Uh, of course, you know, just getting co-sponsors isn't winning today, but it's a lot further than were. we were. We added a lot of friends to that effort by the way we structured the bill. Uh, but the other thing is uh, we then put the issue on our primary ballot. Uh, You know, the state parties still have the option and the authority to put advisory referendums and questions, poll questions on our primary ballot. So, you know, when you went and voted in the primary in June, that question was on our ballot. Uh, And I did that because now we're taking the results of that ballot question in that primary and chopping it up statewide by House District and by Senate District. So when we come back to the legislature in January, and we reintroduce that bill. I'll be able to go to every House member and say, "This is the percentage of Republican primary voters in your district that support having the option to register by party." So it gives us another lobbying tool. Uh, and so we'll be—I have all ideas. We'll be able to pass it in the House this year. Again, we had 55 co-sponsors last last time. That's uh, about two-thirds of the Republican caucus actually co-sponsored the bill itself, which is fantastic. Uh, the incoming chairman uh of the judiciary committee is going to be represented peter mccoy uh he was one of the individuals who told me he would support it uh so that tells me we should be able to get a vote in the house judiciary committee and then get it out to the full house and hopefully pass it out and then we get over to the senate of course the senate's a whole different ball of wax uh but uh, you know we got to win one battle before we get to the second battle
1: Get yeah, second battle was close the primary <laughs> That would be a huge amen on that one.
7: <laughs> first thing we got to do is get partisan registration first. Then we can talk about that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, you are a, a tireless worker, and I can't believe how much energy you have. You make me tired <laughs> with all the energy you've got. But have, <laughs> I wish you a lot of luck on that uh, victory rally tonight. I wish I could be there, but that's, that's impossible. i got workers coming here early in the morning uh, to right. do construction, so... There's no way, because if I go up to Columbia, we have to stay overnight. It's just too long a drive for my husband and I, unless uh, I we stay overnight. I understand. It's just,
7: that's the way I feel when I have to go speak in Hilton Head, so I know how you feel.
1: <laughs> so you know the distance. <laughs> and us older farts, when we get up to that age, <laughs> just sitting in the car too long is not fun. <laughs> that's right. Um, And so I want to thank you, Drew, for joining us. People can find you at scgop.com, as well as your name, drewmckessick.com.
7: Correct. Yes, ma'am. And like I said, if you want to volunteer, make some calls, go to scgop.com. The front page will take you to the link and volunteer. Get to work for the next two weeks. Let's get the Republican vote out. I appreciate it.
1: Well, uh, maybe the next time I'll see you would be at the new governor, in, no, actually, re-election of the governor at his inauguration. Maybe you can get me a couple of tips. Absolutely. Look <laughs> forward to it. T- <laughs> <All right. laughs> Thanks, Drew. God bless you for All your right. hard work. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, Drew McKissick. And, uh, man, I, it's always so much fun talking to him. I love this man dearly. He he has done a good job in reforming our gop here in the state making it more conservative bent we need more people like that out there uh working for us curtis and that's the end of the show i'm looking at the clock yeah. and we're down to our last few minutes for those that were trying to listen in on blog talk radio they have not gotten back to me uh, ever since the show started it's i sent them a a message and no response whatsoever so i can't tell you what's going so, but we are up on youtube facebook uh spreaker uh iTunes. Just go to our website. Just put a dash in the middle of the name, com. You can get all the other players that you can listen on over there. Uh, We're going to be back here on Friday, and we've got Frank Miniature coming back on. He has the book out, Spies in Congress, and we also got our climate change expert, Gregory Wrightstone, joining us back here on uh, Friday. And I don't have on my calendar who I got here for next week, next Tuesday, but There will not be a live show on November 1st or 6th because I will be home recovering from surgery. And the doctor told me, no. I said, come on, I'm just talking on the air. He said, absolutely not. So I'm going to have to listen to him, so it's going to give me two shows off, then I'll be back here on the 9th with you, Curtis. And you will be doing poll work.
2: And the 6th, yeah, the 6th is the general election anyway. That's going to be an exciting day.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm going to leave you all with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And I tell you, in that case, good night and God bless.
4: mm